What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hi, What I Know listeners. This is Christine Legorio-Chafkin. Today's episode is a little different than our usual show. It's an interview I did with tennis star Maria Sharapova from our Inc. 5000 Vision Conference. Maria started a company when she was in the middle of her tennis career, when she was just 26 years old. Since her retirement in February, she's found a new sense of balance in life, and that involves not only running her company, but investing in a lot of fascinating startups. I spoke with her about starting a company while in the midst of an entirely different career, finding balance in the pandemic, and her passions for design and branding. Here's my interview with Maria Sharapova. Maria, I speak to entrepreneurs for a living. I know that it is no small thing to start a company, and yet somehow you managed to do that while you were in the midst of an entirely different job and career path, and you were in your early 20s. Why on earth did you do it? That is a fantastic question to begin with. Um, I started doing uh, this one thing, this very diligent physical, mental um, career, which was the sport that I started from a very young age. And as I got better and became more successful, I realized that there was so much more than just being an athlete, that the sport itself brought me so many opportunities, connections, networks, um, meetings, and brands that I got to be a part of and associated with. But at the end of the day, um, I was a very small part of that connection. I was either the face of, or I helped create and design a collection um, with a company. And being an athlete for so many years and having a competitive drive and and a nature in which I just wanted to make so many more decisions than um, than what was brought to me from these partnerships that I had. Um, I said I would love to own something a hundred percent, where I create my own team, um, I bring in the right resources, the finances, and I make the decisions every single day. Yeah, what could you talk a little bit more about the brands you worked with? Um, there were some really big names, and um, sort of how you got involved with them, and what you learned from them that you could take with you then when you started your next next venture. Right. So, I, you know, I grew to be like I always had this idea of success of winning on the tennis court. Like that is the interpretation of success always meant in in my world and this. Um, dreamy world was holding a championship trophy. Like I never thought of anything um, that I would receive in addition to that. Like I never thought of the paycheck. I never thought of the other gifts or the opportunities. But as I grew uh, out of being so green and understood that there are finances involved, that there are people involved, that there are brands involved, and what does a brand really mean? What does that partnership really mean? Um, it 
I educated myself on the job. Like I learned from managers, I learned from advertisements. I learned, you know, one of my biggest deal and, and longest standing was with Nike since I was 12 years old. And, you know, I, I go back to that first deal and that was when I still had to cut my skirts and roll up, you know, the t-shirts cause they were so large on me. They didn't have a junior line at the time to getting very small checks that would just cover our travel, you know, internationally for the junior tournaments to then having a first big deal with um, Motorola after winning Wimbledon. Um, and it came off as like incredibly natural because I called my mom after winning and I couldn't reach her. And there's this whole connection um, that I couldn't get to her after winning Wimbledon and she was trying to reach me. So playing off of that, that was my first um, like real sponsorship deal as a, as a teenager um, following Nike. And, and with time that grew and, and the portfolio of brands grew and, and I became educated, more educated by the minute. Um, and I was, you know, what I enjoyed about the process was learning from people that were brilliant at what they did and in so many different fields that I just wasn't aware of. Like I didn't know what, you know, a, a marketing campaign was and what it took behind the scenes and how many people were involved. So I, I really learned on the job. So you became very well educated in building a brand and in the marketing of big brands. Um, what else did these did the big companies teach you um, about how how a company works? And was there anything that you did really want to emulate or did not want to replicate when you started Sugar Pova? Yeah. So when I began Sugar Pova, I realized that we were. I mean, it was just a few of us, um, a handful of people that were beginning this journey of a company. And at the time, I, I didn't even understand the definition of an entrepreneur. I just had this spirit of, I love the sweets world. I've had a sweet tooth since I was a young girl. And I want to continue this journey into creating a, a premium product and indulgence that people can either share with their friends or indulge in um, all by themselves. So of course, I took in so much of the experience, but you never really grasp um, um, the attention to detail, um, the focus that you have to create when you are in the midst of beginning and continuing the journey of having your own business. So you were in your early 20s. Um, take us back to the very seeds of Sugar Pova and what it looked like in those early days. You say it was just a handful of people. Right. When, when were you working on it? How do you, how do you start a, a really significant side hustle while you're in the midst of another career? I had a little bit of time because I was going through shoulder surgery and it was a, quite a critical time in my tennis career because I had just gone off of my third Grand Slam victory at the Australian Open. Um, I was really at what I believed to be at the peak of my career. The quality of tennis I producing was some of the best that I had in the years that I was playing. And at that time, you think you're invisible and, and you have so many years ahead of you. And I was faced with a, a really serious shoulder injury and I had to have surgery for it. And Looking back, it was a really frustrating and scary time because not many people came back from, from shoulder surgery um, in, in our sport. And, and I wanted to, there's a part of me that wanted to prove everyone wrong, but the reality of it was that I didn't know at what level I could come back. And that's when kind of the, the business juices started flowing. And I said, well, why don't I take what I have learned in these last few years? I know I'm still young. I know I'm still green, but why don't I apply it to something that I'm really passionate about? And sweets was a category that 
came up really unexpectedly, but it really was drawn from my childhood, from spending years in my grandmother's kitchen for wanting a treat after a really good practice. You know, I would, I would get a coconut bar and, and my father would tell me I could have half of it after one practice and maybe another half at the end of the week if I performed well. So I took those memories and I wanted to create a brand um, in which people could contribute with to their friends, to holidays, um, and where they didn't, after doing so much research, I would go into grocery stores and retailers and I found like the, the junk food type of candy that you would pick off of the shelves and you would kind of eat a few pieces and maybe throw out on your way to the car. Like the packaging wasn't done well. It wasn't branded well. There was no artistic direction. And I felt like I could change that. Yeah. And so you went for sort of a high end candy brand. Um, it, it's, it, every part of it sort of looks sharp and fancy. Um, what went into that decision? I mean, you just started touching on it a little bit, but could you go a little right. deeper? Yeah, I I wanted to create a youthful, a fun, a fresh approach to sweets and candy. And I wanted to be approachable, but I wanted to feel elevated so that it was it had significance when you carried it or when you gifted it. And that's the real, um, you know, feeling about Sugar Pova is you, you feel like you're, you're part of a friendship, you're part of a, of a brand that you feel connection with on a day where you just feel like you need a little treat. That's great. I want to talk to you more about that, but let's pause for a minute because there are congratulations in order. Um, congratulations on your retirement in February. I'm so curious what your life has looked like since then. Well, very different world to what I had pictured it um, back in February. Um, I, I mean, think it's a very different world for all of us, I think. I completely, <laughs> yes. And I mean, I, I never set out throughout my entire career, like I never really knew when the time would come and I never established what it would look like. And when it felt right is when I committed to that decision and it felt really natural and it felt very right, which I was comfortable with, but I definitely had more time to sit and think about it at home than I would have preferred. I, I made a lot of plans to to travel around the world and really explore the places um, that I was keen on exploring. And mostly because I, I visited the world, but I never really understood it. Like I, I was always um, culturally very curious. Um, I spent the first few years of my life in Russia. I you know, I was born in Siberia. I moved to Sochi. I was always moving around. I moved to Florida when I was six years old. So I, I'm I'm this traveler. And so to be home for the first, you know, four or five months, um, you know, of the pandemic around my family, you get to, it's a reintroduction of just pure, simple, raw life. And, and it's very natural form. And it comes with so many ups and downs and obviously such a different and difficult transition um, from my career to just being at home. But I found ways to keep working on my business to, you know, working out is also an essential part of my life and staying fit. I always say a strong body, you know, elevates you to have a strong mind and make the, the strongest, better decision. So I kept those things up, but it was, it's definitely been, been challenging not to be able to speak and, and to hug your friends and to enjoy the simple things that we're, you know, that we're longing to have really soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a really common struggle right now. Uh, what What else have you been filling your days with? Um, I hear there's there's been some investments you've been making. Yes, um, throughout the last few years um, of my playing days, I 
I was always on the search for brands that I connected with on a personal level, on items, um, consumer product goods that I used in my everyday life, particularly in the health and wellness space. Um, I also, I went on Shark Tank um, and invested in a, in a brand called Bala um, next to Mark Cuban, um, which has been doing incredibly well. And I, you know, I keep saying how fortunate um, to have been a guest judge on that day when, when Bala presented, because I'm, I'm so excited about where that company is, is growing and what it's going to be. Great. I was going to ask you about Shark Tank. Um, let's talk about it. How, yes. how was that experience? I hear you're, you're a big fan of Shark Tank to begin with. I was. I had watched every single episode prior um, to being asked to, to go on the show and be a judge. And I had always considered myself the entrepreneur, um, the founder of a brand that would one day present a, a product. Like many people watch on Shark Tank, um, they're like, oh, what, what can I create? Or if I have a business, how would I present it to these judges? So to be one of the judges was a, a completely different mindset. Um, and the time that I spent on set when the day finished, I said, what I want to hear more. I, the stories that the founders come with, because at the, behind every single business, um, at the end of each day are real people, real personalities with real problems and real success stories. And to be in the room, to hear the beginning and the end and the continuation of their company and their brands um, was so special. That's so great. What was, um, aside from Bala, what was your, what's been your favorite Shark Tank pitch of all time? Wow. Um, I quite like when the founders are slightly nervous because you imagine, I think that's when like the vault, their vulnerability shines through and, and like seeing how they come out of that and how they challenge themselves and how they present themselves when they know that they're, you know, not as confident as maybe they had rehearsed to be, or, you know, they had pictured in their mind. And I love seeing um, entrepreneurs come out from that because I think it really shows what they're made of because that's, they're going to, you know, Shark Tank is, is an incredible opportunity and it's viewed by so many people and you have such successful, wealthy people in front of you that can invest in the brand. So it's a big moment, but if they're going to be a successful brand, they're going to have to handle so many more of these types of challenges and, and situations. Yeah, that's so true. Um, also, when interviewing people, kind of the less rehearsed someone is, the better the yes. conversation can be. Um, how, how in this new era um, where we're doing everything virtually, can we have those real conversations? And can, can you even tell, you know, whether a company that's pitching you to invest in them is being genuine? Do you have any mm -hmm. tips or tricks on how, how to make that kind of work and get to the genuine? Yes. I, I don't know if I have, um, you know, real tricks because it's every day feels like an evolution of that. But what I've done the last few months is, is I try to find um, and contact people that are just brilliant, smart founders, presidents of companies, um, particularly in the F&B space from who I can learn. So every week I try to have a conversation. I share some business ideas and I get their feedback. And so much of the time um, I feel like they're they're sharing their own experience based on their failures and not always on their successes. So I would say be real with how you present your company. Um, you can also begin like if it's an investment pitch, I always joke and say, okay, why shouldn't I invest in you first? Like what, 
I don't want to do my, if I didn't want to do my homework, give me that homework. Show me what are you missing? What do you need help with? And I think that's like an icebreaker in a way where they're like, oh, we didn't, we just wanted to sell your company. Um, and it kind of, it breaks the ice in, in most conversations. Yeah. Is, are there traits that the companies you've invested in or the founders you've chosen to work with have in common? So most of them have product that certainly makes a difference. And I can give you so many examples um, of the recent um, investments that I've made. Um, Therabody, for example, um, when I met you know, the founder was in my living room um, with the product. I had used it during um, the course of my career. It's percussive therapy. Um, and he sat there with this product and he explained the story of how he made this tool in the back of the shed. And he had a ser very serious injury. And literally with his hands, he created something um, that got him back on his feet and got his life in order. And there was nothing about money. There's nothing about deals. And this company is making hundreds of millions of dollars annually. And none of that came through. It was all about the story. It was all about the person. It was all about the personal connection. And we say that a lot, that the founders and the team are such a, an important part of the process. I firsthand understood and learned that when I was in the midst of my career. Like when I, you know, you'd walk onto the court and you'd walk through the tunnel and you were on your own. But those, my favorite moments was on when I would leave the locker room and I had those 15, 20 minutes with my team where we knew that there was something on the line. Um, there was this pressure feeling. Um, we had a, an incredible occasion ahead of us, but I looked around and the people that were next to me were so strong, were so supportive, and there's no one else I would rather be in that room with. So it's all about the people and the products. Um, what else are you looking to invest in now? Well, I, I've been joking with my team that I've, I've seen more decks in the last few months than I have in my entire um, days of playing, um, which has been interesting. And it goes back to, you know, always wanting something more and seeing something different and new. And I don't always believe in, in chasing and grabbing and always being on the go. I, I do things that I do believe that things come to you at the right time. Like you must be aware of them and you must try to search for them. Um, but the connections that you make, it, they take time to develop. I go back to, again, experiences and the education that I formed um, when I was playing and competing. It took me years to grow into being a professional athlete in the backs of court number 25 with, you know, two, three team members where I was just hitting ball after ball after ball and trying to improve and get better. And as I'm moving and transitioning into this, this period of business and innovation and learning and I guess, interviewing lots of different people and founders, um, I'm also trying to find commonalities. Like, what am I attracted to? What, in which ways can I help and attribute to? Because um, it's not just about you can give money and you can pay paycheck, but there's so much more that I want to be a part of these companies. Yeah, I think it would surprise a lot of people to know that you don't just make this a deal and, you know, invest some money and agree to do, you know, a promotion for them or, or use your, your image to help them out. It's you're actually really involved in their marketing and brand building and, and other conceptual stuff. 
Definitely. Um, yeah, the, the recent exa example of that is um, recently I, I invested in a, a digital education sports platform called The Skills. And when they approached me, um, they just launched a few weeks ago. And when they approached me at the beginning of the year, um, I was so enthusiastic about their mission because education, especially digitally, and so much of this has changed in the pandemic, it's expedited the way that we want to learn and connect with people digitally and virtually, um, that I was, I was all on board. So we created this course around tennis, around mentality, around the simple strokes, the forehands and the backhands, but also what does it take mentally? And then when we filmed all the content and it was coming, like the bits and pieces were coming together, they were at the same time, they hadn't launched yet. They were still building a brand. They needed people for marketing. They needed, I mean, the smallest things like the additions of fonts and the colors and the way that the, the launch was going to go ahead in this new world and this new reality that we're all living in. It wasn't the way they had planned it when they thought about it a year ago. So, and I was day in, day out, this is my phone number. This is my email. Call me with any questions. And I think that is important as someone that is an investor and someone that is actively trying to figure out, because I'm also in the process of figuring out what exactly does this company need at this time? And in one year, that goal will change. What they needed as a baby will not be the same when they're going to be more established and have more subscriptions. So it's a, it's a process that I'm excited to be a part because I feel like I also grow with the company as it evolves. So Maria Sharapova looks at fonts. <laughs> I love fonts. I, that's, my, <laughs> that's one of my favorite parts. <laughs> I mean, mine too. Don't get me wrong. But um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about balance, um, which we, we touched on earlier. Now, in, in this new era of your life, um, I can see there might be some, some parts that you've pulled from your past. Um, you kind of were known as, as an athlete who was all in on the court, but would take breaks, you know, would take your two weeks off or would take a month yes. um, and, and breathe a little bit, find that separation. Um, whereas, whereas some others just simply don't, their heads down all the time. I see business owners too, who never kind of look up from what they're doing, especially right when they're starting a company. I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about this balance that you've been able to strike at various points during your life and what business owners can learn from that. Right. Well, I spent over 20 years of my life mostly focusing on this one craft and doing everything I could to make myself and my team um, expedite that process and grow into being a champion. And, and I realized that you have to set those priorities and you have to make those commitments and sacrifices to yourself and to your team. You have to be an example to your team, but you must also occasionally extract yourself from being so deep inside the thick and the thin of every single day of working through the kinks of looking through your success and to zoom out of this perspective and say you know what i need to take care of myself because when i'm doing things the correct way for me for my mind for my body i will eventually contribute in a better way. Um, I took those trips when I was competing. Like I, my coaches knew that if I would commit myself for a good five to seven days on the court, I'd need a day off. And I would, you know, if I was in a, in a beautiful city, I would go explore a city and get lost and turn my phone off and take a book. I've read a lot on the road. So, you know, whether it was a business book or a novel um, or an autobiography, I loved learning. I loved exploring. And I think that the way that you can when you're always around the same circle of people, like I was throughout my entire career, 
I had to extract other avenue from other avenues in order to learn and in order to grow. And sometimes when you're so in it, you forget to do that. You forget to expose yourself to maybe unfamiliar territory. You know, for me, that was through travel. That was through design, um, which I loved so much. But it really, and, and speaking to, you know, people and business owners and leaders from, from who I grew, from who I learned, um, I think that's really, really important of getting outside of your comfort zone of what you know so well. So step outside of just the immediate world that you've surrounded yourself with um, as often as possible. What do you think, once a week? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. Our off-season was so short. We, we had an off-season of about um, two months, and two weeks of those a uh, couple of months was you know, toward time with your family, but then you get straight into training because the, the off-season is really where you set the foundation for the new year. So some of the hardest training was done during the months of November, December. So you knew you had those 10 days to two weeks to really unwind, you know, to take care of the, maybe the sponsorship days that you have, or maybe go on a short vacation with your friends or your parents or whichever you may choose, but then it was all back to work. So there was, it's a, it was a very critical like, schedule. There was not a lot of loopholes. Um, if you lose, you know, the, the bad news is you, you lose early and you have, but you have more time occasionally maybe to, to take a little more time for yourself. Absolutely. I wanted to talk to you more about design, which is something you just mentioned. Um, also one of your passions. Um, I hear you have an interesting new project in the works. Yes, I, um, I became fond of, of design through travel. Um, I had this, oh, I, I guess it was not as like a, a habit, but I, I, when I was younger, I used to collect stamps. So I would travel around the world and my mom didn't join me. And the way that I would like, connect with her is I would go to a post office in the cities of Paris and Amsterdam. And I would, um, I would send her a letter and, and a few stamps um, from that country. And little by little, I was like, okay, well, that's not cool anymore. I don't want to collect stamps. <laughs> so I started taking photographs of Frank Gehry buildings because I was so attracted to just to the look and, and how different they were. And, and they were, you know, mostly set against like old architecture and there's something so fresh and different about them. And so I would take photos um, and share them with that. And through those travels, I, I just had this passion for design. Um, and then eight years ago, I built and designed my home, which was such a, a fun experience. And for many people, it's very daunting and very detail oriented. And you have to make so many decisions. And at the end of the day, you want to fire um, your contractor. But I, I love the experience. I love the journey um, when you're building something that you're going to feel and touch and live in and see um, for so many days out of the year. You want to make it unique and special to to you in your tastes and and i love that process so with that um i i joined a, an architectural group with with dan mays and uh, we are going to hotels and and fitness centers and wellness centers around the world and we want to recapture what health and wellness means and design it and create an atmosphere in that is social that is unique that is special um due to COVID, some of the projects that we are working on are are on hold at the moment but it's been it's been a fun um, and interesting projects that I've had in the works for the last couple of years. Oh, interesting. So that's, it's like designing fitness centers. Yes. Ah, cool. And what about furniture? Yes. Um, I've been working on a furniture line. Um, another thing that's as many, as many companies are facing um, delays, that's something that was supposed to be launched um, earlier this year. 
um, my collection, my furniture collection will be launched um, with a company that I unfortunately can't name at the moment, but it's going to be launched in the spring of next year. And I've I, I'm so excited. They're, they're pieces that are transitional, that are um, evergreen, that can live in different styles and different rooms. Some are outdoor as well. I'm, I have this indoor-outdoor aesthetic because I've spent so many years living in Florida and California. Um, so I wanted to include pieces that would really work with those lifestyles. Oh, that's neat. Can you talk about um, the the delays? I mean, obviously, everyone uh, in business has had some sort of um, crazy upset over the last seven months. Um, one thing that's affected so many American companies is is the supply chain um, just slowed down, slowed to a halt, and hasn't gotten back up to speed in a lot of cases. Um, is that something that you've been feeling feeling the strain of? And how did you guys deal with that? Definitely. In, in many of the projects that, I, uh, that I've been a part of um, through the investment um, workflows to, to even Sugar Pova, there's definitely a delay in, in the supply chain. There's a delay in production, um, just in the fluidity and the normal that we were used to. Um, I would say during these times, it, it's been amazing to see how companies and people have turned it into a time of figuring out what is next and what wasn't working because if there's a time to fix it it's now and it was in the last six months and that's what i try to push myself and my team on is to really to work on the foundation to really get to the roots of what was working what wasn't working what can what can we figure out how can we improve it um, and how can we make a difference because you can't do that when you are incredibly successful. There's always going to be little things that you want to change. But when you're growing, growing, you're most likely not going to take care of those things. And if there's a time for it, it's now. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, in this, I feel like businesses are using this challenging time for all sorts of different things if they have been able to recover. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about more about challenges and facing adversity, which are, um, which is it's something that you went through during your career. There be um, whether it's a loss or other challenges that led to bad publicity along the over the years. Like, how what what have you developed as mechanisms for for getting through hard times, for getting through um, the the drop of adrenaline after after a big match? Um, yeah. Do you have any pointers there? Yeah, that's inevitable in, in anyone's career, whether you work in an office, whether you're a student and you're going through the flows of education and trying to prove yourself in, um, in this new day and age or, or as an athlete in front of thousands of people. Um, and most of the time, it does come from the pressure that you put onto yourself. Um, you know, Billie Jean King has one of my you know, most amazing quotes, which is pressure is a privilege. It is certainly a privilege to feel the pressure of your job and to feel the pressure of performing well. And, you know, living and standing up to the standard that you create for yourself and the environment in which you live in. Um, I would go on to center court and I would, I would always feel nerves. I'd always feel butterflies. I always wanted to to perform well for myself, for my team. You know, my, my entire team relied on me. There are hundreds of people that relied on my success, including, you know, fans around the world that would wake up in the middle of, of the night to watch me play. And I wanted to do well for them and with them. And unfortunately, that wasn't always the case. And so you can go home and you can beat yourself up because you didn't play up to your level. Or you didn't perform or you didn't finish an exam the way that you wanted to. Or, you know, maybe, you know, your parents or 
your team set certain expectations of you and they weren't met. And sometimes that is okay. And I know that's, that's, that's like being Switzerland where don't worry about it. Everything's okay. You'll get there. But the truth is, is that those moments will always be there. Those moments will always come. And it's not, it's not about reducing those moments. It's about understanding how to better come, come out of them because the experience that you face when you're going through the challenges, you'll eventually experience again in other ways in life. And I always say that the, the way that you co- go through those challenges will ultimately set you up for a better experience next time. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so just embrace the difficulty and know it's going to happen again, but know that there will be, be better days too. Are there any, any specific kind of coping tactics that you've, um, you've come to or things that help you? I, I was someone that piled a lot of stuff on the days that I had off away from training and away from competing. And what I realized is the more that I try to fit in is actually the least that I accomplished in those days. So what I've transitioned and what, what I've tried to do, um, especially at, at days in working from home, is understanding what are the days where you need to communicate with your team or you need to communicate with companies and you really need to focus on those. I try to limit myself to two, two to three calls a day of about an hour because everything else is that you, you end up forgetting about what you talked about in the first place. Like what are the notes? What are, what are the follow-ups? So just being a little bit smarter about your schedule because I think that's so it's incredibly taxing on yourself, on your, on your mind and your body. And then you're just playing catch up. So don't overdo it. Um, that's, <laughs> I know that's another one of those suggestions that seems so difficult in, in today's environment, but having that time for yourself will only make you a better leader. I mean, I do think there's something to it, and it's something that a lot of us are actually learning for the first time in our our lives over the last um, half of a year. You know, balance is important. Um, exactly. Being rooted is important. Um, how how have you come to that, or how have you come to that also in the past seven months? I always thought that people consider balance to be fifty fifty, and it's never from my own experience and. And from my team's experience, it's it's never like that in your professional life and your personal life. It, it's finding this, you know, is it 75-25? If you're thinking about, you know, the health and wellness and the indulgence model, um, for me, it's 80-20, being disciplined and understanding what my body needs in terms of nutrition and hydration and really being diligent on that. But also having this like world of sweets and indulgence and treating yourself to, you know, an afternoon off of, you know, maybe watching your favorite show on a Thursday afternoon and not on a Friday night, like giving yourself that 20% of what of committing to you. Um, and that can look very different. And it's important get gravitating toward people that make a difference in your life, um, personally and professionally, um, always staying close to them, being in touch with them. And I think those connections are incredibly important. And I've learned that in the last few weeks as I'm starting to see my friends a little bit, m- bit more, um, you know, joining a, a, a group of two or three, um, doing an outdoor dining experience in, in my backyard and just communicating and going through life and, I don't know, opening up, that's really helped me. Maria, you had an outstandingly long career starting before you were even a teenager. I'm wondering how, how you've come to think about that perseverance, that keeping going, and how, how to know when it's time to keep going and when it's time to, to call it. 
Yeah, that's a great question. And a question that I, I faced um, in the last few months before announcing my retirement. And you have to search and you have to search within yourself and what you're feeling and what your body is telling you. And also just what your mind is telling you. Like you can have influences and people that are close to you to help guide you to the right decision, but ultimately you drive your career and you have to be comfortable with making those decisions. Um, I know that time is precious and it's valuable and it's a, it's a commitment. When you say yes to something, you are committed to it a hundred percent. That's the way I, I, I was driven by that motto. Like you do, you have a call, you have a practice, you have to show up all of you. And I realized that I was showing up for my body and trying to get my body to a good enough, strong enough place that I almost lost touch of competing and competition because I was always I was always a short step away from getting there, but my body just didn't allow me to finally like let loose and just compete and enjoy it. Um, it became a vigorous process, a tough process that I had to handle next to my, my team members. And I realized that there's a lot of value in that time and that I could apply it to so many other better, more meaningful ways. And for so many years, that was the sport. And I just believed um, and committed to applying it to other things in my life. That's fantastic. So now you have Sugarpova, two design um, companies, projects that you're working on, a, a bunch of investments. What's next for you? What, what should we expect um, from Maria Sharapova in five years, 10 years? <laughs> um, maybe some travel. <laughs> I would hope so. Maybe. Let's maybe hope. <laughs> next year. I know yeah. that we are all longing for that, but um, there are a few trips that um, that my family and I wanted to take and had arranged. And that, I, I know that's, you know, not business oriented, but I really, I wanted to explore the world um, and, and do it from a different set of eyes than I've had my entire career. Well, thank you so much, Maria, for joining us today. This has been such an interesting conversation. Thank you for having me. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. If you're a new listener, welcome. Please subscribe to What I Know wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a friend who's interested in startups, entrepreneurship, or evolving as a leader, send them some links to your favorite episodes. Also, it's truly helpful if you could leave us some stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes two seconds, and it really helps other people who'd love this podcast find us. You can also drop us a note anytime at whatiknowatinc.com. Who's an entrepreneur you admire whose story you'd love to hear? You can also let me know on Twitter at Legorio. Our producer, who is always a grand slam to me, is Joshua Christensen. I'm Christine Legorio-Chapkin. Thank you for listening to What I Know.